0: Welcome to Inside the Play Call with Orange Arrow, and I'm your host, Sean Robinson. Today we have a very, very special guest, Mr. William Thomas Hillgrove, better known as Bill Hillgrove, AKA Mr. Pittsburgh, AKA Mr. 412, the voice, Pittsburgh sports broadcaster legend. Bill, how are you doing, sir?
1: That introduction will get you everywhere.
0: (laughs) How much do I owe you, Sean? (laughs) You know what? You know what? I want to start off with something. I feel like it's only right to do so. One of the most recognizable jazz tunes ever. We're going to get into your love for jazz. So quick test. Name the In artist. a
1: sentimental mood. In a sentimental mood. I can't tell who it is.
0: Duke Ellington.
1: Oh, it's the original. It is. It's the original
0: version. You know, there's been a lot of remakes of it. A lot of remakes of it.
1: Edward Kennedy Ellington has always been one of my favorites. And of course, uh, one of the reasons he hired uh, Sweet Pea, Billy Strayhorn, to be his uh, main partner and his uh, orchestrator and his composer and, uh, you know. Billy Strayhorn, of course, a Pittsburgh guy.
0: Right. I didn't know that. Look, you, you dropping knowledge already. <laughs> You're a wealth of information. <laughs> and, and so you have something special coming up soon. You have a birthday coming up.
1: Yeah. And Sean, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's okay. I'm going to change the front marker from a seven to an eight, with your permission. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Uh, I don't feel that number. It's only a number. Uh, I feel great. Uh, I, you know, I have the energy to keep going. And as long as broadcasting sports is
0: fun, I'm going to do it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, you look great. Uh, it's, it's interesting. So how I remember my age most years is by associating with a jersey number. So, for example, you know, when your birthday coming up, you'll be Jerry Rice. This will be your Jerry Rice year.
1: Yeah, that's I, I didn't think of it that way, but you know, uh, a lot of times I remember phone numbers by jersey numbers, and um, I said as well. Let me think. Uh, my daughter's uh, phone number is a jersey number for Ernie Stotner and Mike Ditka.
0: How about that? How Ernie about Stotner, that?
1: Was seventy. Mike Ditka was eighty-nine, yeah. and. Oh number uh, is a combination of those two uh, two rule uh, cool numbers.
0: And so, why don't you help me out? So I'm 40 now. So this is my my Sean Kemp or Gail Sayers year, 41. <laughs> who who can I get for 41?
1: Uh, Robert Spillane, linebacker for the Steelers.
0: There it is. There it is. You yeah. didn't even hesitate.
1: And Sean, his grandfather was Johnny Latner who was a great player at Notre Dame where he wore 14, but when he became a Steeler for one year, he later got hurt and couldn't continue his career. He wasn't all pro in his rookie year. He wore 41 for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Wow. Awesome. Okay, there it is. Problem solved. Problem solved. <laughs> so, Bill, so we want to start out with a couple warm-up questions. What is your favorite TV show of all time? There is no question
1: Hawaii 5-0, the original with Jack London, okay. Bookham Danu. Uh, and one of the reasons it became my favorite was be- I've been privileged to be a visitor to Hawaii seven times, four because of the University of Pittsburgh, three for basketball, one for football, and then three other times for other reasons. And so uh, that original show uh Hawaii 5-0, the opening, you see Jack London, uh, Standing on the top of the Ilikai Hotel, where I've stayed three times. And, uh, you know, it's it's for that reason. It's always been my favorite. And even uh, the newer one, uh, the spinoff, uh, I enjoyed that as well.
0: Okay. All right. Hawaii 5-0. Hawaii 5-0. That's it. Bill, if you could work any job for one day, any job for one day, what job would that be? Outside of broadcasting. Yeah. Uh,
1: I've kidded about being a bouncer at Zeldas and you remember Zeldas when you were a student uh, one of the fine places on campus where the students would have a refreshment or two. Uh, seriously, I've always wanted to do what I do since I was age 13 to combine my love of sports with, uh, when I discovered it at the age of 13, um, you know, I, I, I found that I had a talent to be on this side of the microphone. And, and I really never considered any other profession um, maybe an orthopedic surgeon. I don't know. I, it, it's I don't dwell on it. Uh, I'm having too much
0: fun being a broadcaster. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so we will do, we're going to go with your first answer, the bouncer. That would be great. One day, Bill, he'll grow the bouncer. <laughs> I would love it. I'll come through. You got to check my ID. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Last warm-up question. We know you love jazz. Miles Davis or John Coltrane? Who are you picking? Miles
1: had more influence on the art form. Uh, I love Coltrane, and I loved some of the stuff he did. He became what they call a modal guy. I'm not a musician. Uh, It's a different way of doing things. Uh, But Miles just, you know, in so many ways, was so much more widely recorded, um, and, and had more of a, a profound impact on the art form. So Miles Davis is an easy answer.
0: So where did your love for jazz come from? You know, um, I well, when I was a
1: teenager, uh, my next-door neighbor was a jazz fan. He tuned me into Earl Bostic, and I'm sure pure jazz fans don't consider Earl uh, necessarily a jazz guy, but, uh, yeah, that's where it started. And a friend of mine was a fellow uh, Central Catholic student, said to me, I have tickets to Dave Brubeck. Do you want to go see him at Carnegie Hall in Oakland? I'm sure. And then maybe a couple of weeks later, I've got tickets to the four freshmen. And I went to see the four freshmen. And I went to see Maynard Ferguson. And then, you know, the next thing I know, I even went to see um, the guy who, uh, oh gosh, why doesn't his name pop into my head? the, the pianist who, who did round midnight yes yes round midnight he didn't show didn't it and it turned out he wasn't at the concert at Carnegie hall because he was playing at a club in the hill district that night and didn't feel like performing uh for the crowd at Carnegie hall uh Thelonious monk um, okay, no, uh no yes
0: yeah i was about to say yes exactly
1: and uh, you know that's where it, it began and it grew and uh I kind of missed the rock and roll era because of the timing of it. I was a teenager. Uh, I'm aware of the rock and roll era and I love the rock and roll era. Uh, But uh, you know, jazz is my main thing and I've been privileged to do a jazz show for years on WZUM. And then I decided uh, last year, well, it's too time consuming and I want to do it right. I want to put the time in and uh, between Pitt and the Steelers, uh, I invest enough time and, and work. So, I had to give it up and
0: reluctantly. And so with your love of jazz? You mentioned you never, you're not a musician. Have you ever tried to play an instrument? Yeah, I
1: uh, took guitar lessons when I was a teenager, Uh, but the call of the ball field was much louder than the call to the music. And I regret it to this day. I wish I would have learned. Uh, My wife is a musician. She said, you want to sit down and uh, I'll teach you the piano and harmonics. I said, I'd love to, but I don't have the time. Uh, it's a frustration, but uh, it's 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 okay. You know, I I appreciate and to be an official aficionado, aficionado of jazz, uh,
0: it's important to me. That you are. That you are. So I'm not sure if you know. I so I grew up loving jazz because of my dad introducing the genre to me. I played an alto saxophone growing up in church and also in the band. And recently, and I, I pulled this out because I feel like you appreciate it my grandmother just gifted me this beauty here. You can you see it? Wow. This nice baritone. Look at Saxophone, that. it's beautiful. So I guess it was my, it was her brother. So the saxophone may be older than, older than me. So she lives in Sacramento and she gave it to me when we went out there, my wife and I, and I flew it back, made sure I had it. At, at the, inside with me. I didn't put that underneath the um I didn't check that, that box.
1: Well um, I have a question for it. you. I have a yeah. question for you. Are you gonna play it or are you gonna mount it up on the wall?
0: I, I think I think I'm gonna go back and forth. I have played it a little <laughs> bit. I'm gonna go back yeah, and forth. It's probably ball. gonna be it's probably gonna be more mounted than anything, <laughs> but uh I actually enjoy playing the alto saxophone more than the uh, the baritone. But uh yeah it'll probably go back and forth mainly mounted but Every once in a while, I'll, I'll play it a little bit.
1: So you're more cannonball Adderley than you are Jerry Mulligan.
0: Yes, there it is. <laughs> 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 Wonderful. So, Bill, talk about your upbringing. Where are you from? You mentioned a little bit like, Central Catholic growing up. So take us back a little bit for those who may not be aware.
1: Well, I'm from the Garfield section of Pittsburgh, which uh, geographically is uh, between Lawrenceville and Sliberty. You know, East Liberty is one word, it's Liberty for a Pittsburgher. And right. uh, inner city, St. Lawrence O'Toole, then Central Catholic. I walked to both schools, uh, St. Lawrence O'Toole, uh, we'd walk home for lunch. We did, they didn't have a cafeteria like most Catholic schools, didn't have a gymnasium. Uh, and I walked to Central Catholic and took a trolley car, that's before your time. And um, it was about a half hour walk, as it was to Forbes Field and Pitt Stadium. And so, you know, the location of uh, Garfield, I was up on a hill. They call it Fort Pitt Hill. And I could see the light standards at night in the summertime at Forbes Field. And I remember saying, I'd like to be part of that someday. Uh, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. But, Sean, I found out at a young age, I wasn't even the best player in my neighborhood. How am I going to make the Major Leagues? But I fortunately (laughs) found out. Yeah. Well, I found out at that young age that I had a ability on this side of the microphone and so i was able to combine them and uh it's the most uh well the luckiest and most blessed thing that's ever happened to me
0: bill hold on pause there take me back to baseball what position
1: i was a pretty good outfielder i didn't have a strong arm but it was pretty accurate and that's one of my pet peeves about the way the game is played today the throw from the outfield is a lost art uh, and that's a shame because i grew up watching the best in Roberto Clemente uh, and also uh, of his era, Carl Firillo, uh you know, they had good, strong, accurate arms, probably in the modern day, Vladimir Guerrero is as close. I know Dave Parker, Willie Stargell both had pretty good arms, but Clemente was the best and he was so accurate. And that was important to me. And I had some speed in my younger days. I played center field. Uh, that was all oh, 50 pounds ago. But, um, you know, I could pick them up and lay them down. So I I was a natural outfielder. That's great.
0: I actually played baseball growing up. That was probably my first love, shortstop and center field. If you ask my granddad today, he said I should have stuck with playing baseball. So I enjoyed the Uh, game.
1: Most parents feel that way. When I wanted to play football, I had to smuggle the equipment out through the cellar door and pick (laughs) it up when my parents weren't looking. My dad broke his arm playing football, so I wasn't allowed. Neither was my brother. We had to sneak it. Got
0: you. (laughs) So, so you said around 13 that you found you had a talent for this side of, you know, being behind the microphone. What was that time period? Like, like what happened? What was that experience? Well,
1: my aunt was a sister of charity and she had a friend in that order, sister Rosalie, who had the Pittsburgh diocesan radio TV school. And since my dad was an electrician, and dabbled in electronics, I said, well, maybe I can go learn how to fix radios and TVs. And the nun handed me a script and said, read it. I read it. She said, just what I'm looking for. I said, what's that, sister? She said, a 13-year-old brat. I said, well, I don't need a script for that. I'm naturally a brat. And I ended up playing this 13-year-old brat uh, in a uh, series that was live on WDUQ on two of the McKee sports stations. And so at the age of 13, I got a taste for live radio and a feeling that I really liked being on that side of the microphone. And uh, uh, it it was uh, very, very lucky. Now, were you nervous or did it feel pretty natural
0: and comfortable? I was
1: comfortable. And then my dad, sensing this, put up a sign on my bedroom door, uh, WHIL. And he brought me a microphone that wirelessly connected to the radio. So instead of playing in the backyard, I would sit up in the bedroom and describe my brother and his friends playing in my backyard, and that's where it started at a very young age on WHIL.
0: W-H-I-L. Wow, that's <laughs> amazing. I wish we had sound from back then. That would have been great.
1: Oh, boy. I don't know that I'd want that, uh, because as, <laughs> as you know, and, and it's any, any uh, profession, Sean, uh, you've as a young person, you've got to make certain mistakes. Unfortunately, in my end of things, uh, the mistakes are public. So I started out at WHIL, where very few people heard my mistakes, graduated to WDUQ when I was a student at Duquesne University, and then a small FM station, where I got my job as a sophomore at Duquesne in 1959. And then, of course, I've got my big break in 1967 when WTAE radio and TV called. So you know That's how it progressed, but uh, I got the mistakes out of the way and, and probably was ready uh, after my fourth audition at Channel 4.
0: Wow, no, th- th- what a journey. I mean, it's, It was like you were built for this. It's pretty incredible. Now, have you ever like taught a class as it relates to this or, or no, mentored? But done,
1: no, Sean, I haven't taught a class. I haven't had time, obviously. Maybe when the R word gets bigger for me, retire. It's not in my vocabulary right now. I would think about it, but uh, when I do career days, uh, I tell young people and I I don't care if it's uh, the media, broadcasting or whatever career, be yourself and be versatile. Because for a young person, most don't really know what they wanna do. I was an exception. Uh, And so what you have to do is do a lot of things and then pick one out that seems to fit your talents and then let that grow. And and, and that's the thing. And, and people in broadcasting, I say be yourself. Don't try to be Al Michaels. Don't try to be Mike Tirico. Uh, be yourself. Uh, okay, pick up things that they do well. And, you know, that's part of the learning process, as you well know. As an athlete, uh, you emulated certain athletes. But you still had your own style. And I can right. still see Sean Robinson with that punt against Oregon State in the inside bowl game running up the right sideline at the Bob for pits first. And I believe only bowl punt return touchdown. I can still see that. That's pretty amazing. That's
0: pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was the first, actually a second person did it as well. So let's see if you could guess it. So he's currently in the NFL. So he, he returned him? a
1: punt. quadri Henderson.
0: No, no, he's not in a bowl. Older, older than quadri. Say that again. He's older than Quadri. He's the second person returning a punt for a touchdown in pit bull history.
1: Darrell Revis. No, no,
0: he's currently playing. So Tyler Boyd. Oh my goodness, I
1: forgot about Tyler. And you know yep. what? The thing I, I, I forgot about that. So there are two of you. That's an exclusive club. The thing I remember about Tyler was when he was a freshman coming out of Clareton he caught a touchdown pass for Pitt, his very first. And he kept both feet in the back of the end zone. And I said to myself, and I might have said it on the air, he's already getting ready for the next level. And he's uh, blossoming at the next level. And that's a good thing. He is quite an athlete, quite a young man. And uh, like the great ones, he works
0: hard. Definitely, definitely. Two things that come out when I think about you. Your memory is incredible. Have you always had this great memory? Have you ever been, always been able to recall things?
1: Well it's been pretty good it's not failed me um it's a little more challenging as you get older but still uh yeah there's a lot of things rattling around in this steel trap of a brain that maybe someday i'll put in a book uh but right now i'm too busy having fun and too busy uh, working at it to to sit down and be reflective so you know we'll we'll see what happens
0: now so so so, what about with your wife like can you actually say you forgot something because she was like you remember everything else you remember who scored a punt and everything else like can, is that excuse you can use i forgot
1: <laughs> well uh, you know what i haven't forgotten an anniversary yet
0: okay so all right uh,
1: i'm still in good standing at, at uh at, at our home
0: <laughs> awesome awesome and then the other thing that come to mind is your voice your voice is iconic have you always had this unique voice
1: uh, it's the one God gave me. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say it's the best voice that I've ever heard. Uh, it doesn't compare with uh, that of Orson Welles or uh, you know, any of the, the great voices that you've ever heard. Uh, but, you know, it, it, I've been able to make it work and I've been able to be good to it. And that's another thing I tell young people who want to get into and do what I do. You know, when the crowd gets excited and I see an exciting play, I want to scream. No, don't scream. Uh, Be good to that voice. Uh, Don't become a Joe Cocker or uh, Rod Stewart uh, with a damaged mechanism. Uh, And I think that goes to good breathing, uh, breathing properly, and directing the voice from a certain source. Don't bring it from your throat. Bring it from your abdomen. Uh, That's the support mechanism for your voice. And I think if you're good to it, it's almost like an arm or your legs. If you're good to them, they'll come back and, and, and be good to you. That's great.
0: That's great. Now, now, do you do any other routine to keep your voice healthy? Like, do you drink uh, lemon water or anything like that? Hot tea?
1: No, I'm I'm not uh, in.
0: No, I'm not
1: into that. It's just uh, uh, no, I it it's 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 more breathing and it's more placing the voice than it is anything from the outside. Oh, okay. when you get a cold, yeah, hot tea with lemon or honey helps. Uh, But fortunately, knock on wood, I've only missed one game in all the time I've done games uh, because of voice issues. And I believe that was 1974 uh, for pit football. I think it might have been a temple game where I completely lost the voice. And, you know, I damaged it and I placed it in the wrong place. I had it in my throat, not in my abdomen.
0: And, and I learned that lesson uh, painfully. So from the abdomen, that's great. That's a great point. That's a great point. Wise wise words. And so <clears throat> any additional advice you have for young people who are looking to get into this career? I mean, you dropped a lot of nuggets. Anything else that come to mind?
1: I, I think I've covered it. Be yourself. Um, like oh, yes. Yourself. Uh, and if oh. you want to do what I do. If you want to broadcast football or basketball, 95% of your, of your work is done before you step into the booth or sit behind the microphone. Ray Scott, and he was my mentor and a great, great broadcaster, uh, he, he's the one who taught me that. Uh, you can't over-prepare. You've, you've got to put the work in before you sit out for two reasons. Number one, it comes out over the air. You've done the work. You haven't crammed Secondly, you're relaxed. As John Majors used to say, the haze in the barn. He used to say that on Fridays. The practice is finished, now let's get ready for the game. And and so if you're prepared, you'll
0: relax and let the game come to you. And so as we transition, I'd love to get your feedback about the work we're doing with Orange Arrow. Three names, three supporters of the work Orange Arrow has been doing. I'm going to say their name. You just let me know what comes to mind. You ready? One, E.J. Borghetti. E.J. Borghetti, passion
1: for blue and gold, passion for the University of Pittsburgh, a work ethic that's uh, unbelievable, and certainly one of the nicest human beings uh, that I've ever been around. And, and Sean, I think that's very important uh, for people with gifts that they are blessed to be able to bring to the public don't get carried away with yourself. Or as the great late chief Art Rooney used to say, don't be a big shot. And, and I, I say that EJ is the antithesis of a big shot.
0: He's just a good guy who happens to be at the top of his profession. He's a great guy. And that's what we actually we share with our young people. The character, how you treat people, relationship building is so important. Two more names, Walt Harris. Walt Harris, a pit guy.
1: Here's a guy who was let go by the University of Pittsburgh, did a good job as a coach. He still lives in Pittsburgh. He still comes to Pitt practices. He still cares about the university, uh, and that's a good guy. I've played golf with him. He's a wonderful companion on the golf course. Uh, he's played in Dick Rhodes' golf tournament, where Dick raises funds for the Dick Road scholarship at the university of Pittsburgh. Uh, Walt's just, again, a great person.
0: He is, he is. And so coach and I, we've really, our friendship has grown you know, as I got, as we've grown older. And one of the ways we connected it is through golf. So I didn't know you were a golfer. So one day when I get back to Pittsburgh, I have to see if you're available and we'll get a we'll walk together, get a, get a fourth person to go out there and play around.
1: Well, i uh, right now I'm, Recovering from some spinal surgery I had last December, my feet are still numb. Uh, so I'm on roller skates, my balance is not good. So right now, Sean, it's chipping and putting. Uh, if you wanna play scramble, uh, I might be able to help the team. Other than that, uh, don't ask me to hit tee
0: <laughs> <laughs> Last person, it's another Harris, Franco Harris. He's been a huge supporter of our work. What comes to mind to you hear Franco Harris?
1: Franco, a community-minded guy a guy who uh, you know, gives of himself even to this day. And despite the fact that he's an NFL Hall of Famer, uh, despite the fact that he has those Super Bowl rings that I'm sure he treasures and cher- cherishes, he shares that with people. And I think that's important, too, for people who succeed. Uh, remember where you came from and give it back if you can. And I think he's the example of that. Uh, he's one of my favorite people.
0: Yeah, you're talking about salt of the earth. So each year, he and Lydell Mitchell, his his former Penn State teammate, they do a fundraiser event in the Super Bowl City. And so this past Super Bowl in Miami, I'm actually here in South Florida, he selected Orange Arrow as a recipient. And so they rented out a steakhouse on South Beach. 100% of the proceeds went to Orange Arrow. The who's who's from the Steelers were there, like, Frank was incredible. So we're forever grateful and thankful for what he does, not only for Orange Arrow, but for the community and society as a whole.
1: That's what athletics and life are all about. And to young people, I say, The bigger game of life is a permanent game. You only get one shot. If you're an athlete, you're gonna get another game. You're gonna get another opportunity. In life, this is it. Make the most of it.
0: Great. Last question. So the mission of Orange Arrows to coach student-athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be, is being successful outside of your sport. Why is it important to be successful outside of one sport?
1: It's reality. Life is reality, Sean. Uh, Athletics, to a degree, is really not. Uh, Athletics is aspiring to greatness. It's a game. And life is a much bigger game than just the one that takes place on the field or the hard court or whatever venue. Uh, And you have to realize that. And I think the younger that that idea strikes your brain, I think the better off you're going to be. Uh, There's an example of some athletes, and I won't name names, uh, but they're eminently successful at what they do. But comes the end of that. With the, you know, the dawning of the fact that you're aging and that game is not going to be permanent with you, some of them can't handle that. Some of them can't make the adjustment from athleticism to the bigger game of life. And I feel bad for those people. And I really think, and thanks to your organization and ones like it, and, and thanks to perhaps the more preponderance today of sports psychology and, and career planning, you know, the NFL is very good at that. Uh, like, for instance, for young athletes who want to become broadcasters, the NFL uh, helps to take care of those at a very young age and make them realize, hey, what you're doing is not permanent. You better find something more permanent. And and I think that's, to me, that's the ultimate calling. And you're to be congratulated, your organization as well, and people like Franco Harris and Walt Harris, uh, E.J. Borghetti, uh, those are the people who count.
0: Awesome. Bill, time is our most valuable asset. I know your time is limited. Thank you for sharing your time, and your wisdom with us. All the best to the rest of the season. And I look forward to catching up with you in the near future.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for being Sean Robinson and the person you are. Thank you, Bill. Take care.